today here. We have offered the Abhishek, the bathing of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in honor of the most auspicious event of John Mastami, his appearance in this material world. Does this go louder? Uh, so, the Abhishek ceremony of the Lord is an enaction of the transcendental pastime that took place actually on this very day in Gokula. 5,000 years back. Although we generally bathe Lord Sri Krishna and Janamastami evening, historically the Abhishek actually took place the day after Janamastami, on the day of Nandotsava. You see, Vasudeva and Devaki, they did not have any bathing paraphernalia or the opportunity to bathe Lord Sri Krishna when he appeared. But when Vasudeva took Lord Sri Krishna across the Jamuna to the holy land of Gokula, at that time, Nanda Maharaj and Jashoda Mai, they were in the loving emotion that Lord Sri Krishna was born to them. Therefore, being a cowherd community, the tradition was that a newborn child was bathed in all auspicious substances, such as milk and yogurt and ghee. Ah. Because in a cowherd community, the cow is considered so precious, so important, that every part of the cow's body is considered sacred and pure. And this is a fact. According to the Vedic literatures, the cow is pure. The cow is the very emblem of religiosity. And therefore, every part of the cow is worshipable to the extent that even the Supreme Personality of Godhead accepts the Abhishek primarily from the substances given by Mother Cow. Therefore, baby Krishna was bathed in the milk of the cow, the yogurt of the cow, the ghee of the cow, as well as the dung and the urine of the cow. Uh, Sometimes materialistic people, they cannot understand, especially people from foreign lands, how we are worshiping God and we are, po we are pouring dung and urine over his head. Huh? This does not match their standard of sanitation. Huh? <laughs> they are thinking that my God, even me, it's abominable for me to touch the stool or urine of any creature. What to speak of pouring it over the head of God? Huh. I know in the Western countries, you know, every Janmashtami we have Abhishek ceremony. And sometimes many, many guests come to our temple. And they say, they see the beautiful form of Radha and Krishna and they see all these different auspicious substances over their head and then they see this big, this very deep brown substance just <laughs> falling all over and they say, what is that? Ah, that is cow dung and they go, oh my god <laughs> and then after that 
they see this other yellow substance. Well, what is that? Ah, that is cow urine. And they think, what? You are putting urine and dung, and your stool and urine on God? In my church, we would never do like this. But Krishna, we offer him the prayer. Namo Brahmanya Devaya Go Brahmanya Hitaya Jaja God Hitaya Krishnaya Govindaya Namo Namaha. That he is especially the well wisher of the Brahmins and the cows. Because, you see, it is the Brahmins who are the heads of society, who maintain the principles of pure religion in society. Therefore, they are very dear to the Lord because without them the whole society will go to hell. And similarly the cow, it is described that you can judge exactly the spirituality, the level of spirituality of any society simply by seeing how they treat the cows. This is the barometer. When the cows are happy, peaceful, and secure, and properly protected, that is a symptom that the God consciousness is very high. The standard of mercifulness and godliness is very great. But where the cows are fearful, unhappy, insecure, and being misused, we can understand that according to that particular level, there is godlessness within society. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is said just like this. This is the barometer of the spiritual caliber of any society. Simply watch how the cows are being treated. So on this most auspicious day, Nanda Maharaj especially took these substances from the holy cow and bathed the Supreme Personality of Godhead Lord Sri Krishna with them. And since that time, on the holy day of Janamastami, throughout the world, people have been bathing Krishna with the famous Abhishek. But factually, today, on this day of Nandotsava is the actual day of the Abhishek, historically. So Mahaprabhu was thinking, huh, John Mastami, everyone's going to Radha Gopinath Mandir. What to do? But factually, the actual day of the Abhishek historically is taking place here at Radha Brindavanathabar Mandir in Kar. Ah. So this is a very glorious event. Whatever we do for the Lord, we do it for his pleasure. Because God is a person. God is not simply an impersonalistic energy that by performing different mystic yogic meditations and mechanical processes that we connect to and link up and become one with this energy. The process of bhakti, which according to Bhagavad Gita is the highest of all these yogic processes, is to understand the personality of Godhead and to approach him as a person which means that the goal of all of our spiritual practices is simply to please him. When you deal with somebody personally, you do, cannot make your reciprocations based on some mechanical way of exchange. But rather, 
A personal exchange means that our desire, our goal, our hope is to please the object of our worship. And we find in Lord Sri Krishna's Leela that simply by pleasing Krishna, even the lowest, most downtrodden became perfect in their self-realization. When Krishna came into Mathura, he was greeted by several different personalities. First he went to a tailor. Everything is the property of God, you know. Sarva Loka Maheshwaram. The greatest ignorance is when we think anything is mine. Janasya moho This is the source of all bondage. To think that I am this body and those things in relationship to this body are mine. That is called ahankar or false ego. But real ego is to understand that I am not this body. I am the spirit soul, which is by nature the eternal servant of Krishna. And everything is the property of Krishna, and everything is meant to be used in the service of Krishna. Everything is meant for the pleasure of Krishna. Bhoktaram Jagatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwaram. Krishna says in Gita, one who simply understands that everything is my property and everything is meant for my pleasure and I am the friend of everyone. Only such a person can attain peace. If you do not understand these three most simple principles, no matter what efforts you make in this world, you will never find peace. It is not possible because you are in an unnatural condition of consciousness. So everything is the property of God and therefore everything is meant for His pleasure. And we trust that Krishna, being our Supreme Father, is our friend. In other words, if you offer whatever you have to Krishna for His pleasure, you will never lose. Someone who is not your friend will take and he will cheat you. He will exploit you. But a friend who loves you, whatever you give to that friend, you could understand that he will reciprocate hundreds and thousands of times more. It is said that when you take one step to Krishna, he takes ten steps toward you. In the story of Sudama Brahman, we read of how Sudama gave Krishna some stale chipped rice. And in reciprocation, Krishna gave him a beautiful mansion and a palatial garden to live a life of luxury and opulence. But even in that luxury and opulence, Sudama Brahman was never thinking, this is mine, to enjoy. He was thinking, Krishna has given it to me. <coughs> it is his. It is all meant for his pleasure. And he utilized everything that was given to him in the service of Krishna. He never considered himself the proprietor of anything. Actually, in love, there is always a competition of who can give more. In this material world, it is not like this. In this material world, everyone is after taking. And in the name of love, we may think we're giving, but actually we are taking. I am giving you because I am expecting something very better in return. Huh? Just like in India, how you do it is another thing. But in America, there is something called romance. Have you heard of that in India? Huh? Has that come to this part too? Romance. Ah. Romance is considered the highest thing you could possibly attain in life is a romantic relationship with the opposite sex. Of course, now in America, you don't have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be the opposite sex. 
<coughs> they are becoming very liberal <coughs> in their romantic tendencies. So romance means that, oh, I'm giving my love to you, and you are giving freely your love to me. So really, what are we giving? I am giving thinking that I am going to get sense gratification in return. But as soon as I'm not getting sense gratification, immediately, I don't want to give anything anymore. It stopped. And this is considered love. Romance is considered love. But it is not love. It is nothing more than lust, comma. Because the principle is selfish. The principle is, I'm giving with something in return. That is my motivation. But in spiritual life, love is an endless competition of who can give more. When a devotee gives to Krishna, he does not expect anything in return. He simply wants to give. He simply wants to please his beloved. And in return, Krishna simply wants to please his devotee. This is the nature of the spiritual world. And every living creature in the spiritual world is endlessly having this competition with Krishna. Who can give more? It is described even the flower of the spiritual world. When the flower sees Krishna, the flower makes itself especially beautiful for Krishna to see. Huh? And then when Krishna sees the flower, he thinks, ah, such a nice flower. She's looking so beautiful just for me. And then Krishna makes himself more beautiful for the flower to behold. And the flower, ah, just intoxicated by seeing the beauty of Krishna, thinks, oh, how beautiful is Krishna. And then she makes herself more beautiful for Krishna to see. And then when Krishna sees the increase in the flower's beauty, he thinks, oh, how beautiful, how sweet. And then he makes himself more beautiful. In this way, they keep making themselves more beautiful eternally. This is all they do. Huh? Some people wonder, what will you do if you're a flower in Vrindavan? You simply, endlessly, for the rest of eternity, are increasing your beauty for the pleasure of Krishna, and Krishna is endlessly increasing his beauty for your pleasure. This is love. Simply to please the beloved. So when Krishna came into Mathura, he first came to the shop of one tailor. And he wanted to give this tailor the chance, the opportunity to attain the perfection of life. Ah, he was thinking, everything is my property. I am Bhagavan. Tailor, give me the nicest clothes in your shop. And the tailor, ah, he became very angry. What? The nicest clothes in my shop is meant for the king, Kamsa. What kind of an impudent child are you? You are asking for that which belongs to the king? Have you no manners? What do you expect? The king is the proprietor of everything, and you are asking for his property? You deserve to be punished. So Krishna was thinking, ha ha. Now you know, Krishna, any part of his body can fulfill the function of any other part. So he took his hand and he just took his and touched the tailor's neck with his hand and chopped off his head. Huh? Krishna is very expert. And then the tailor died. But because he was killed by Krishna, he got liberation. And then what did Krishna do after he killed the tailor? First of all, the tailor's employees, they all went running away very fast. So then Krishna and his friends, they had the whole shop to themselves. You know what happens when you leave the whole shop to cowherd boys? 
And then they went walking forward, and they came to a flower shop where there was a very simple and humble garland maker of the name Sudama. And when he saw Krishna coming with his friends, headed by Balaram, he was thinking, ah, Govinda has come. I have heard all about him from Vrindavan, his transcendental pastimes. Please sit down, Krishna. And he gave him a nice seat. And then he went and found the nicest, best garlands in his whole shop. And he put one around the neck of Krishna and one around the neck of Balaram. And then the rest of his garlands he began to put on all the cowherd boys. And then he washed Krishna's feet with his own hands and offered him beautiful prayers. It was a very simple offering, but he pleased Krishna. And Krishna reciprocated. He offered Sudama a benediction. He said that whatever you desire in life will immediately be fulfilled for the rest of your life. And you will always find within your heart pure love for me. You will never suffer any miseries as long as you live. And when you leave this body, you will be directly promoted to the kingdom of God, Goloka Vrindavan, to live with me there. So this is the result of one who pleases Krishna and the result of one who displeases Krishna. Human life is simply meant to understand that whatever we do, we should do it for the pleasure of God. Therefore, there must be an understanding and a realization of how God is a person and how to please him as a person. This Abhishek ceremony is not simply a ritual. Sometimes people in India, they consider that this is just the ritual that you perform on Janmashtami, that you pour this milk and yogurt and water and dung and urine on top of this little deity. Why we do it? Because our fathers did it, and our mothers did it, and our grandmothers and grandfathers did it, and great-grandfathers. And it is a tradition. And somehow or other, this tradition must be maintained. Otherwise, my parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents would be very disappointed in me. And I don't want to do that. Why I don't want to do that, I don't know, but I just don't want to do that. <laughs> People are not very philosophical these days, you know, to say the least. But it is a very simple philosophical understanding that we perform the Abhishek ceremony to please Krishna. Because it is pleasing to him when we remember the divine celebration of his birth by partaking in the same pastime that Nanda Maharaj and the residents of Vrindavan performed for him when he originally appeared in this world. That is the reason. And by pleasing Krishna, and by approaching him as a person, our spiritual life really begins and progresses forward. Today is also a very special day not only is it Nandotsava, the day of the Abhishek of Lord Sri Krishna in Gokula, but it is also the appearance day of His Divine Grace, Om Vishnupad Paramhansa Parivaragja Kacharja, Sri Srimad Esi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, the founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness and the great empowered disciple of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who spread the glories of devotion to Sri Krishna on every continent of earth. He was the first and only 
in history of the world, modern history, who spread the pure message of Bhagavad Gita, Sanatana Dharma, to every continent on earth. He traveled around the globe 14 times between the ages of 70 to 83. When most people decide that they've had enough of working hard in this world, let me just retire. Let my children do all the work. I will sit home, watch television, play cards, eat nice prasad, and be happy. Huh? Or if I'm very, very religious, I will simply retire and go to a holy place and sit down there and just chant the holy names and be happy. It was at that age when practically everybody makes this decision in life that Srila Prabhupada decided to execute the most dangerous and bold mission that any man had ever set out to do. To spread the pure message of God throughout the world. Now when the Lord appears in this world as described in Bhagavad Gita, he appears for transcendental spiritual reasons. He does not appear like the rest of us. Karamana daiva netrena. The ordinary living entity takes birth because of his previous karma takes birth in a particular womb of a particular species of life. But the Lord appears simply to establish the principles of religion and to attract the conditioned souls back to his eternal home, back home, back to Godhead. And similarly, when the pure devotee of the Lord appears in this world, his business is non-different than the mission of God himself. Just as the Lord performs his lila on this earth, one who is surrendered to the lotus feet of the Lord and who is acting only on behalf of the Lord, that person, his life is non-different than the lila of the Lord himself. So therefore, to understand the nature of the pure devotee's appearance in this world and the nature of the Lord's appearance, it is of the same nature. The mission is one. So our beloved Guru Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada, how he lived, spoke, talked, walked, ate, everything within his life was simply an offering of compassion and love upon all the creatures of this earth. His every breath was simply an offering of love to all living creatures in this creation. Because his life was dedicated exclusively for this purpose of uplifting the conditioned souls and bringing them closer to Lord Sri Krishna. He used to tell us often that the only thing he expected of us is that we learn to love Krishna. Huh? He used to tell us that I only ask that you accept one thing, that I have not come to cheat you. This is the world of the cheaters and the cheated. 
everyone is cheating one another. Even family members and so-called loved ones, they all have their own selfish motivations. So in this way, everyone is cheating one another in this world. Srila Prabhupada told us, if you simply have faith that I have not come to cheat you, that I have simply come to give, not to take, to give love of God, and to teach you the road back to go home, back to Godhead, is that this belief alone is really the most important ingredient in a person's spiritual life. Because without faith in the spiritual master, it is very difficult to make any progress in devotional life. And that initial faith has to be that my spiritual master is my well-wisher. He has not come to cheat me. He has come to give. He has come to give the divine grace of God. And if we have that faith, then spiritual life will be very easy and very simple. But without that faith, it is very difficult, the process of surrender. So, on this most auspicious day, to hear the glories of the Lord and to hear the glories of his devotees is really and truly the perfection of life. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, that the devotees of the Lord, their greatest pleasure is to discuss the glories, the names, and the pastimes of the Lord and His devotees. Srimad Bhagavatam, the spotless Purana, is that great narration by Srila Shukadeva Goswami, where in the tenth canto he describes the beautiful narration of Krishna's birth and activities in this world. But most of the rest of the nine cantos describe the glories and the activities of the Lord's devotees. Unless we learn to worship and glorify the lives of the great saints, we will never truly appreciate the pastimes of the Lord himself. Because we have a misconception. It is through the lives of the great saints that we can truly understand in truth the divine pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So let us take this opportunity to imbibe within our heart the true necessity of learning the art of pleasing the Lord and pleasing his great devotees through the process of offering whatever we have and whatever we can do for their pleasure and especially by offering our power of speech and our power to hear, to speak their glories, and to hear their glories. That is the basic foundation of our spiritual advancement. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. That the tailor, his, his head was chopped, is really very confusing. If any person, you see, he is working for king, and uh, a king has given him order, oh, you stitch my cloth. And all of a sudden, Krishna is coming, chopping his head. 
you see, it's, it's very difficult to digest because you may, you may say or because we are reading, so we have to follow it. But actually, it's not getting inside. It means just, uh, so uh, there are several things like that. We would like to know a little bit about uh, just like uh, just the parasarmuni and uh, when uh, you, this uh, Satyavati and uh, how this... Uh, Vyasdev was born and Karan came out and then then some the Pandavas were born. S several things, every these charter accountant hostel when we were there last week and when Dropti Chiraran was going on and then Jodopti was giving so many big sermons at that time. So people were really not very serious, they were less laughing on it. So point is this is very difficult to understand certain things. So we we like to know a little bit about it and that may this may be a question of everybody practically. It is said that when the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. If you follow someone, you will attain the same destination as that person. Huh? What was the fate of Kamsa? The same as the tailor. Krishna killed Kamsa, and he also killed his servant, the tailor. Krishna did not discriminate. Therefore, it is said that the destiny of your life is exclusively dependent on who you associate with and who you follow. There is nothing more important than the association you keep. What you associate with, you become like, and wherever, whatever the destination of your associates are, that will be your destination as well. If you associate with drug addicts, you will become a drug addict. If you associate with alcoholics, you will become an alcoholic. If you associate with pious people, there is a very good chance you will become very pious. If you associate with a blind man, you will f fall in the ditch with that blind man. So therefore, Kamsa was living a, the life of Adharma. He was exploiting the property of God, and therefore, he was subjected to the laws of God. And therefore, anyone who was intimately serving him and following him was subject to the same consequences. So Krishna was showing us by this pastime that we should be very careful who we associate with and who we follow in life. The duty of every human being is to become God conscious and follow the laws of God. And whoever we follow, whatever position that person may have, if he is leading us on the path of adharma, we have no obligation to follow him. But we should know that if we do, we will have to accept the same consequences. This is a very practical instruction. Because in this world, practically everyone is of the same character of Kamsa to some extent. The government leaders, the lawmakers, sometimes in the schools, sometimes in our own family. Huh? Prahlad Maharaj, his father was an atheist. Now generally, the son is supposed to follow the father. But if the father is against the word of God, you have no obligation to follow him. As a matter of fact, if you do, you will attain the same sinful destination. Therefore, every human being must understand the goal of life. 
must understand one's relationship with God and must respect that. Therefore, we should associate with those persons and follow those persons who are bringing us closer to God. In regard to how to understand the transcendental lila of the Lord, the scriptures are the guidebook which is explaining how the Lord appears in this world and what his activities are. Now we must understand that no one can understand the inconceivable will of God by their own intelligence. Bhishma, when he was laying in the bed of arrows, he was thinking back when he was speaking to Maharaj Yudhisthira. How is it that the Pandavas, who were the best friends of Krishna and who were sinless in all respects, that they had to undergo so much persecution and suffering? He said, this is all the inconceivable will of the Lord. No one can understand or fathom the inconceivable of will of the Lord by their own intelligence. That is why the Vedas describe tam sugurum eva abhigachchet. That no one can understand the Vedas without a guru. It is impossible. You can be the greatest of all Sanskrit scholars, but you will never understand the essence of the Vedas. You will never understand the real purport without a guru. Because the scriptures of the world appear to have incredible amounts of contradictions. I remember one time in Toronto, Canada, Srila Prabhupada met the number one professor of Eastern religion in all of the Western world. This man, his textbooks about Hinduism and Buddhism are the standard textbooks in Hinduism classes and Eastern religion classes throughout the Western world, throughout the English-speaking world. He is considered the authority This man is a Sanskrit scholar, although he's Canadian by birth. He probably knows the Sanskrit language better than practically any of the pundits in India. And he has scrutinizingly studied the Vedic literatures as his profession for many, many decades. So everyone was very impressed when he agreed to meet with Srila Prabhupada. And the devotees were thinking, ah, if only we can get Srila Prabhupada to meet with him, then it will really give such credibility to our spiritual master. Huh? That people of this world respect him to such an extent, he is the authority on Hinduism. If he respectfully sees our spiritual master, everyone will think, yes, this Hare Krishna movement is, must be bona fide. So Srila Prabhupada was living in a house in Toronto. And this professor agreed to come to see him in his house. So he came in Srila Prabhupada's room. Srila Prabhupada was sitting. He came with about 15 of his top students in Eastern religion, Hinduism. They all came together. And the first question that he asked Prabhupada, it was not really a question, it was a statement. He said, I have read the writings of the great Acharyas, and I have studied the Vedas scrutinizingly for years. And there appears to be many, many, many contradictions 
in the teachings of the Vedas and many contradictions amongst the purports of the various Acharyas. And Srila Prabhupada was so grave and he was so serious that hardly anyone could even look at him. And he looked this professor right square in the eyes and he said, there are no contradictions amongst the Acharyas. And there is no contradiction in the Vedas. And then there was silence for about several minutes. And then Srila Prabhupada, this professor was not able to say anything because Prabhupada's gravity was just so thick that it didn't leave any room in the, in, it didn't not leave any room in the atmosphere for another word to be said. And in this silence, Prabhupada said, you cannot understand the Acharyas and you cannot, under, you cannot understand the Vedas without Guru. The Vedas themselves say, no one can understand Veda without Guru. Do you have a Guru? And the biggest scholar in the world, in Hinduism, he said no. And Prabhupada looked at him and said, then why are you cheating your students? In the name of God you are teaching, but you are a cheater. And all your teachings are cheating. You are simply giving your opinion, which is contrary to the very basis of the Vedic culture. You must accept Guru and you must repeat his words. And the devotees were thinking, oh my God, <laughs> what is Prabhupada doing? We already told him he's the biggest scholar in the world. And then this great scholar, he looked at Prabhupada, and then he looked at the floor, and then his students were looking at him and saying, why are you cheating us? <laughs> and Prabhupada said, he is cheating you. And then he said that he had an appointment. No, no, I'm sorry, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. He didn't say he had an appointment. Prabhupada was so angry with him. He told his secretary to remove him from the room. He said, this man is a cheater. He said, you should take him out of here. Ah. And the secretary said, Prabhupada wants you to leave. And then he said, all right, I will go. <laughs> and then he and, his, he and his followers walked out. Now this same professor is still one of the greatest professors in the world. And he invites devotees to come to his classes. And whenever he comes, he says, your spiritual master, he, chat, he taught me a good lesson. <laughs> As a matter of fact, one of our devotees at New Vrindavan was working on his PhD in Sanskrit and he was, this, he was the professor that was his guiding professor to get his PhD. And this man actually loves Prabhupada very dearly. The devotees were thinking, my God, this man is going to hate our movement. He's going to say only bad things about our movement. He's going to hate our guru. But this man actually, because the way Prabhupada dealt with him, he considered that Prabhupada is a genuine guru. 
how he dealt with me, how he, because he knew Prabhupada was right. And he gained endless respect for him for dealing with him the way he did. So Srila Prabhupada knew exactly how to deal with everyone to purify their hearts. But this is the fact that all the great Acharyas you will never find that they simply translate the Vedas. They will translate the Vedic literatures verse by verse into the local language. <coughs> but after each verse they will give a purport, an explanation. Because without that purport, without that explanation, no one can understand in truth what that verse is saying. That is why when Srila Prabhupada wrote these books, Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Chaitanya Charita Amrita, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Sri Ishopanishad, he took the essence, the cream, the most important of the Vedic literatures, and he translated the original Sanskrit into English, and then he would give a purport, an explanation, so that we could understand through the eyes of an Acharya what this verse is actually saying, how to understand it. Srila Shukadeva Goswami describes in the Bhagavatam that anyone who carelessly skips over the first nine cantos to go to the tenth canto to understand Krishna's intimate leela with the gopis, that person is drinking poison. He will not be purified, he will be putrefied. Because you cannot approach the Vedas directly. So therefore, the Mahabharata, the series, certainly has, is a very virtuous and noble attempt to raise the religiosity within the country of India. And it is doing good work in this regard. But as far as attaining self-realization, it is not possible because it is simply depicting the story. But you cannot understand the spiritual significance of any of these particular passages of Mahabharata unless they are being explained by an Acharya, by a bona fide spiritual master. One may ask, how is it that Parasaramuni, who is such a great saint, is having an affair with Satyavati without even marriage. And Vyastev, the incarnation of God, is born of this apparently immoral action. If you simply see it, how will you understand? But if you hear from the great Acharyas, you will understand exactly how the Lord is working and why he is working through such particular pastimes as this. The fact is that such great souls, liberated souls, they are not acting according to their own sensual impulses. But they are being directed directly by the Supreme Personality of Godhood who is situated within their hearts for a particular purpose. Such great souls, under the internal potency of the Lord, are not subjected to morality or immorality because they are simply acting as an instrument of God. And the result is, you could judge a thing by its result, that God himself as Vyasadeva, Shaktivesh Avatar, is coming as the fruit of the womb of Satyavati. If we try to understand the divine Leela of Krishna, how he was dancing with unmarried gopis, and sometimes gopis married to other men in the middle of the night, it appears immoral unless we understand it through the lips of the great Acharyas. How Krishna is the father of morality. And whatever he does is all good, Sudasattva. In this material world, there is good and there is bad. 
But in the Leela of God, it is Sudhasattva, it is pure goodness, where there is no bad. It is all intimate loving exchange on the highest spiritual platform. So similarly, sometimes Krishna directs his purified devotees to act according to the same principle. Now, if we think that we can act according to that principle without those realizations, then that is more abominable than drinking poison. So I'll give you the test. If you can lift Govardhan Hill with the little finger of your left hand, you could dance with, unmarried, with gopis who are married to other men. If you cannot be Girivanadhari, you cannot be Gopijanabalaba. <laughs> Huh? Unless you are able to lift Govardhan Hill with the little finger of your left hand, you have to act according to the principles of morality strictly. But if you can do that, then you can dance with gopis, no problem. <laughs> Similarly, if you, if you want to have an affair with a fisherman's daughter, you can do it if God takes birth. Huh? But if God doesn't take birth, if you cannot give, if you do not have the spiritual potency to give birth to God in her womb, you have no right to touch her unless you are properly married according to the proper religious principles. Huh? So people think, ah, this is endorsing immorality, but it is not. This is the divine leela of the Lord but we'll never understand these things unless we understand through the vision of the great acharyas. Therefore it is said, Tadvidi pranipatina pariprasnena sevaya. If you want to understand the truth, you must approach a guru. If you want to really understand in truth the knowledge of the Vedas, you must be instructed by Guru. When Krishna appeared, he studied the Vedas under the direction of Sandipani Muni, just to show us that even he studies the Vedas with Guru. When Lord Sri Ramchandra appeared, he studied the Vedas under Vashishta Muni when he was young and Vishwamitra Muni when he was a little older. Even the Lord, who is the source of all knowledge, just to set the proper example for us, he understood the Vedic knowledge with the help of a guru. Now, if you are better than Krishna and better than Ram, then you could understand the Vedas on your own but you will find so many apparent contradictions. It will boggle and bewilder your mind. Therefore, it is said, Acharya Pasanam, that one who hears from an Acharya understands things exactly as they are. When you hear from an Acharya, you understand the truth as it is. When you try to figure it out yourself, you understand things the way you like it to be, or the way you think it is. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita, our Guru Maharaj translated and named his title Bhagavad Gita as it is. And he explained to us why he named it as it is. Because every verse is simply being explained as the previous Acharyas has explained it. He said, I am never in any verse, my Guru Maharaj Prabhupada said, I am never giving my own interpretation or my own opinion. I am simply repeating the words of the previous Acharyas. Therefore, it is as it is. Does that answer your question? But my last part of the question was, what, what is the transcendental action was there when the trust was playing and gambling and losing he was not gambling because he liked gambling. He was gambling on the basis of a very, very high and honorable principle of the honor of a kshatriya. 
Now today there is no real Kshatriyas. So no one can gamble on such a level of high honor. Today everyone is simply gambling because they're addicted to sense gratification. They want something cheap. So it has nothing to do with the gambling of today. And second of all, underlying it all was the divine will of God. Yasyaiham anagrinami harishetadhanam shanai. Krishna wanted to show the glory of his devotee. Any devotee can be devout when everything is going just the way it should. Huh? But when everything is going against you, to maintain the purity of your faith and your conviction is the real glory of your devotion. After all, if Prahlad did not have Hiranyakashipu as his father, and if Hiranyakashipu did not torment Prahlad in so many ways, and against all odds, and in the face of so much danger, if Prahlad did not maintain his devotion, would anybody be talking about Prahlad today? Huh? What if Prahlad had a nice religious father? Huh? who trained him in, 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 in religious principles. Prahlad lived millions of years ago. He lived in Satya Yuga. Today, every day, we're talking about Prahlad Maharaj, are we not? Who would be talking about him? He would have been forgotten by his, after, his great, his grand, after his grandchildren. Nobody would have ever heard his name again. Right? So Krishna particularly and specifically put Prahlad in the family of Hiranyakashipu just to glorify him for all time to come. Because of what he endured as far as the tests and the tribulations. Similarly, in the life of Srila Prabhupada, our Guru Maharaj, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, he left India at 70 years old, he had 40 rupees. Did you ever try to change a rupee in America? <laughs> If you take a rupee out of India, it's no longer a rupee. It's just an old piece of paper. <laughs> a rupee has no value anywhere outside of India. In America, you cannot change it. No bank will accept it. It's worthless paper. So he had 40 rupees worth of worthless paper. In other words, he did not have anything. And he did not know anyone. And he was struggling alone. He was living in the Bowery, the lowest ghetto, where there's crime, alcoholism, and filth in all of America. He was living there because that was the only place anyone would give him a room to live. And while he was living there, the person he was living with on an LSD trip became so completely insane he tried to kill Prabhupada. And the next place he stayed, he was trying to translate his books and his typewriter was stolen. Just this cheap little typewriter. That was taken away. <coughs> in this way, Srila Prabhupada was struggling alone in the wilderness of the most sinful city in the world trying to spread Krishna consciousness and nobody wanted to listen. Why did Krishna put him in that situation? Today, it's 24 years later, we're talking about this incident to glorify him. Krishna particularly and specifically put him in this most struggling, dangerous, and fearful condition, hopeless condition, just to glorify his devotee. So similarly, Krishna wanted the Pandavas to lose everything, to be banished to the forest for 14 years, just to show the glory of his devotees when they were in the face of the greatest dangers. Christianity never really spread 
until Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was personally just preaching, he had a handful of disciples. But after he was crucified, Christianity started spreading like wildfire all over the world. Because, my God, this man has died for our sins. How he remained compassionate and faithful to preaching the message of God, even at the face of death and torture. He must be real. He must be genuine. God arranged it like that. Because Jesus Christ's desire was to spread the message of God, and in dying he could spread it better than in living. So he was glad to accept it. He was ex glad to accept torture and death on behalf of God. Huh? That is a fact. So when the Lord puts his devotees in an inconceivably difficult situation, we can understand it is to glorify that devotee for all time to come. And because the Pandavas, because the Pandavas were put in that situation, we are listening to their glories even to this day. That gambling match was not simply an illicit, immoral activity taking place. And Dropity, why was she put in a situation where her, even her own husbands would not help her? To show the glory of Dropity. How if you cry out for God with all helplessness, then the Lord will save you. In essence, there's no one except Krishna that can save you. In the, final, in the final line of our life. How, how Draupadi is glorified by that pastime. We're reading and glorifying Draupadi even 5,000 years later, how she cried out, hey Krishna, hey Govinda, and Krishna saved her. If her husbands would have stand up and stopped it, we wouldn't even be thinking of Draupadi today. Right? Isn't that true? What if Bhishma would have just gotten up and beat Dushasana in the head and killed him? Then we, nobody would even care about Draupadi today. Huh? But Krishna prevented Bhishma from doing it just so Draupadi could be glorified. How she surrendered to God. How she cried out his holy name with such feeling. So we must understand these pastimes in truth from the previous Acharyas then we can understand them as they are. Otherwise, they are very bewildering. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.